I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Is there any situation in which a footballer wouldn't hope to kick on from here? A Canadian take on the cold wet Tuesday night in Stoke. Brentford versus Forest passes the good game this test. Which Manchester United midfielder appears in a technical death metal track? The statute of limitations on what a signing he's been? What constitutes getting a foothold in a game and when would you need one? In the if you'd offered us a point beforehand scenario, does the game actually take place anyway? And Keezy versus Pards, a minor ding dong in Doha. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcast. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, this is the Adjudication Panel, and your Adjudication Panellists are Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Good to have you, as is David Walker. How you doing? I'm very good. Right, Adjudication Panel time, jam-packed. Let's kick off with this. This came from Sam. This is Southampton's Will Smallbone being interviewed by the in-house media after they made it 21 games unbeaten. Will, record unbeaten run for the club in the Football League, how does that feel? Yeah, not very special. I think it's a great day for us as a club, very proud moment. And no, thanks to, to the fans for their support along the way. And no, I hope you kick on from here. Charlie, obviously incredibly footballery sign-off to pretty much any scenario, <laughs> but I don't think you need to kick on from being 21 games unbeaten. That's the least kick onable situation you're going to find. <laughs> You've already kicked on. Yeah, that's... Very autopilot, isn't it? Amazing. Kick on from here. I mean, I guess it depends. Is it, it depends sort of how many wins and draws have been in there? It, and it was after a bad start to the season, wasn't it? So you could argue it's a kind of elongated platform that they've provided themselves with. I don't know whether he is necessarily referring to this because it sounds like it's a bit of an autopilot answer. But they did go second with that win on Saturday lunchtime because they played before everyone else. So it. That is a kick onable moment. Now we've now we're in now we've got to second. Hopefully we can kick on and, you know, remain there for the rest of the season. Quite the platform though, isn't it? Twenty one games unbeaten, Charlie. That is that is too much platforming, I would say. Another twenty one games and we'll be where we want to be. More generally on that closing line, Charlie, it does feel like almost any interview question that footballers get, mostly sort of in that scenario, post-match, pre-match, that sort of thing. That cadence of that final answer is always the same. And it, it applies to when they're talking about a goal and it says, yeah, and uh, yeah, someone was on the door. Yes, thankfully it's gone in and yeah, hopefully we can kick on from here. Thankfully and hopefully basically appear a lot. I think because it's basically telling you that it's over, isn't it? Without being rude, but it's kind of saying, and uh, da, 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 which is, to, to the interviewer, we're done. Yeah, it is quite dismissive, isn't it, Dave? It's a very gentle kind of way of saying, there's nothing more for me to say about this incident. And it, it's amazing, isn't it? It's sort of learned behaviour. Because people talk about media training, right? And that's part of me thinks that, like, does, that, does, that, does media training actually happen? Or do people just sort of pick it all up by osmosis? Well, you just watch a few interviews. I don't think anyone's ever sat Will Smallbone down and went, right, at the end of the interview, just yeah. whatever, you, whatever you're going to say, just make sure you go, da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> I wish it was that granular. I hope it is. Someone should do 
a long read mm. on that at some point. It'd be fantastic. Right. Inside media training. That would yeah. be really interesting. Yeah. I think I know a guy. We could find out. Uh, next one came from Brent Hewitt, who was listening to the Intelligence Podcast from The Economist, who were pondering whether former Bank of England ace Mark Carney has what it takes to get into Canadian politics. Mr. Carney is clearly very competent when it comes to the world of business. But I asked him specifically, could he connect with Canadians? Could, in effect, a smart, intellectual member of the financially powerful elite actually connect with Canadians? And I think the way I put it was, could you go to snowy Saskatchewan on a February night and pump hands of maybe 16 liberals who are going to turn out on a Saturday night in a church basement? That, that's it. <laughs> David, is now a universal concept. That's it. The seal has been broken. And I would say pound for pound, going to Saskatchewan is probably yeah. harder than going to Stoke on a Tuesday night, I reckon. I know, I was thinking that. Snow Saskatchewan. It's currently minus 14 degrees in Saskatchewan. So that does Fuck. put a windy night at the Britannia or Bet365 bet into sharp perspective. Yeah, that's gritty. That is gritty. I hope he's got it in him. Who knows? Similarly, this from Jamie Johnson. He says, always nice to see football cliches creeping into other sports. Here's a new twist on a classic on the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. I think it works. Yeah, but to sign Philipson, you have to be, for 24, you have to be negotiating with him now before yeah, Wellsford even turns a pedal in anger for Bora. That, Charlie, is the <laughs> most tenuous something in anger I've ever heard. Turns a pedal, was it? Yeah. You push a pedal. You turn mm. a pedal? I I'm not it... arguing with a cycling podcast. Yeah. I mean, yeah, fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll defer to their expertise on this occasion. My issue with it, Dave, is that the turning of a pedal is, is a repetitive, continuous thing in cycling. It's not just like one act, like in football, kicking a ball in anger. It's, it's, it's very rhythmic and they all sort of merge into one in the end. You can't turn a pedal in anger. Well, uh, well I mean, maybe you could, like on a real, like, fast sprint stage. But it does than... imply the first push of the pedal, Charlie, on, on a stage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even just a training, even just in training. So, but uh, <laughs> it's just so good, the summary of it. And I love, I just love the way people use language in sporting contexts. I really do. Um, thank, well, thank God we got the podcast for it. Now, cast your minds back. I don't know how long ago this was, where we talked about that very specific mini scenario where you might join your friends in the pub for a game that's on the telly and one of you's late and uh, you, you ask them so what's going on and they're very, very specific set of circumstances where they will turn to you and say yeah good game this and this was justified by match of the day steve wilson as forest make it 2-2 against brentford with 25 minutes to go hudson Adoy, lovely ball chris wood super goal that's a great goal and it's 2-2 It's a brilliant ball from Hudson Adoy and a lovely flicked header from Chris Wood. It's a magical cross, this. Just begging to be put away, and Chris Wood is the man for just that job. Good game, this 2 2. <laughs> Delivered in just the right way as well, Dave. Good game, this. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Do you know what, as well? It is a, that is a really important thing with a good game, this is if, like, what's happened here, one team has gone ahead and then the other team's gone ahead and it's been wrestled back because it might it is quite often said at a point at which you might be thinking have we sort of is it now going to peter out have we had all the fun and then no there's more which is really nice like oh good game this like just as just as it might have been petering out yeah but I, I was thinking though is it a bit late to say that i know the obviously the goals the fact that it's 2-2 
but sort of I do see your point sort of think in the pub in the pub situation you probably would say it earlier wouldn't you it's, it's, more, it's almost like a surprising thing oh this is a good, good game there turning out to be a good game it's a first half call isn't it because the game is still unfolding uh, but I guess the use of it here Charlie implies that there's still a twist it's self-evident though it's too all yeah but Charlie's point about um, the order of the goals being quite important here if if Forrest had come back from 2-0 down to make it 2-2 I don't think good game this would apply it has to yeah. be quite even-handed the ebb and flow right I do, I do agree with that. I think it's a different thing because that's a more obvious sort of comeback story. Whereas I think good gameness is is a bit different. Okay, right. Next up, little quiz for you. Going to read you um, a quote from the press uh, this weekend, blanking out the crucial information, and you have to tell me what's going on. Not a competitive one. You can put your head together for for this if you like. Here we go. I had nineteen good years at X, and it's a tough decision to leave a job you've been in for so long. But when a club like Y comes calling, it stops being a tough decision. It becomes a really easy one. My manager at X has been brilliant and handled everything really well. He understood what it meant to me and recognised it was an unbelievable opportunity. I think they're as excited for me as I am to get started. What scenario is happening here? So he's been there nine... This, this player has been there 19 years. Is it a, is it a non-football... Is, is this like something from politics or from outside of sport? It is a football figure talking. You can just give it to me in generic. So you don't have to guess who it is. Just give me into no. generic terms what you think it must be. I'm trying to think though. Could it be an opportunity for him to go and be a player manager somewhere or Is it Dean Lewington leaving no, MK but Dons? I do see the logic. I see where you've gone for long serving and then he's yeah. gone somewhere else finally. Uh, no, the answer is I'll put you out of your misery. It's new Notts County manager Stuart Maynard. I'll fill in the blanks for you. I had 19 good years at BT Open Reach. And it's a tough decision to leave a job you've been in for so long. But when a club like Notts County come calling, it stops being a tough decision and becomes a really easy one. My manager at BT has been brilliant with it and handled everything really well. He understood what it meant to me and recognised it was an unbelievable opportunity. I think they're as excited for me as I am to get started. Nice. You belong in football, Stuart Maynard, quite frankly, because that is the most football way you could possibly have described leaving BT Openreach. Long servant. Almost two testimonials. <laughs> You don't often see that because you will have heard many stories over the years where like a player goes from being part time non-league and has to give up his job to go and be a, you know, take the punt and go to League Mm. Two or whatever. Mm. I I can't remember a manager going from. Absolutely right. From that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, he was at Wealdstone. And um, yeah, you're right. You just you just assume these sort of non-league managers are sort of (laughs) that's all they do. You never hear about their other jobs. That's a very good point. Why do they have other jobs? Um, But yeah, enjoyed that one. Okay, next up. This one came from Martian Grave, who uh, incidentally used to be in a melodic death metal band called Morgue Orgy. So you might be able to see where this is going. He asks, which Manchester United midfielder appears about 30 seconds into foul body autopsy by necrophagist? Here we go. What the fuck? Any luck? What have we just listened to? No. Okay, here we go. It's in the second half of the clip. I'm getting nothing. I'm sorry. Can't pick anything out of that. You're not picking up Scott McTominay there. Ah, no. Scott McTominay. Can, can you have you got it, Adam? Can you yeah. hear it? Right, yeah. come on. Summon those vocal cords. Right, okay. In your best death metal, please sing along. Come on. Oh, fear for people listening to this. <laughs> Scott McTominay! 
I'm still none the wiser, but I enjoyed hearing you try. Uh, the appropriate song for what appears to be the slow death of footballers' names in things. Um, <laughs> still got one more for you, though. This is so one into my brain, certainly. In Happy Undergrounds last week, one of the I wasn't answering it, but someone was, and the one I would have given was Marouane Fellaini, and all I could hear was Marouane Fellaini. The original and best of footballers' yeah. names in things. Okay, well, I'll try this one for size. Joey Medrington gets in touch and says, a lovely tribute here to a former Chelsea, West Ham, and indeed England striker. In Comes and Goes by Eddie Chacon. It gets better as it goes. I had everything. Comes and goes. Comes and goes. Comes and goes. Come on. Carlton Cole. Yay! Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. The segment lives. And on we crack. Okay, time for a more reliable segment then. It's time for For My Sins Corner. I'm going to play you a clip from popular culture. And I want you to pinpoint, with your voice, the very moment that someone is going to utter the words For My Sins, the football phrase that is taking over the world. Right. The first one comes from Alex Mountford who's listening to Trevor Nelson's Rhythm Nation. Bit of a tricky one, this one. <laughs> you and I <laughs> don't have something in common. What do we not have in common? Well, for my sins, I've never seen oh. Les Miserables. This is absolutely outrageous, Trevor. You don't not, you don't often get the host going mm. before my sins, do you? It's mm. normally the guest. Out of nowhere. And it, and it was an almost, you know, game-destroying prefixing for my sins. But is it for my sinsy, Charlie, to have never seen Les Miserables? No, I'm not sure. I think that's... If you're a man of Trevor Nelson's musical standing. I, yeah, I guess. It's a slightly odd one. On the contrary, I think it's for my sins if you've seen it too many times. Yeah, if you're a big fan of Les Miserables. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, that was a mere exhibition, really. Here comes the proper challenge. Dave versus Charlie in for my sins corner. Here comes clip number two from the previous night on Trevor Nelson's Rhythm Nation. Mal's at the ready. <laughs> now, Aberdeen is famous. A lot of people who live in Aberdeen work uh, work in oil, right? Of course they do. Of course they do. Don't tell me you're on, on one of those rigs. Oh, I'm not on a rig, no. Thankfully not, no. I'm, I'm firmly on the ground. But you work for an oil company, yeah? I do, yes. For my sense. All good. Great nice. company. Good, good. I'm glad you're happy. Dave, did you, did you hold fire then? Yeah, because I, I didn't hear it. Did Charlie obscure it? No, you were right to hold fire because there was no For My Sins. It seemed nailed on to me, but there wasn't one. Uh, rarely, though, Charlie, for a, a For My Sins list, For My Sins corner, it felt like the, the, the host was trying to elicit it. Mm. In fact, he was yeah. expecting it, wasn't he? He was almost <laughs> come on, going come on. too hard. Get out. Come on, just yeah. say it. Sound guilty about working for an oil company. She refused. Loves it there. Right, let's get some proper football questions now, shall we? We've dawdled on the ball too much here. First one comes from Simon Olivari, uh, who is looking at the um, AFCON headline on the BBC website, Toothless Cameroon, held to draw by 10-man Guinea. He says, I'm not sure if you've covered Toothless before, but this game was a 1-1 draw. So Cameroon scored. Surely this means they had at least some teeth. Do you think Toothless can be used for a team who have scored? Charlie, is it that fundamental? No, I think it's okay. I think you can still be toothless. I think the spirit of it is fine. You can be toothless. Because also you might score, obviously not quite in this case, but you might score a late consolation goal in a 2-1 defeat after creating a ton of chances and you're still toothless. They had 13 shots and only two on target, Cameroon, in this game. I think you can be described as toothless if you, even if you have scored, yeah. 
because it's actually sort of, quite it, a lot of shots for a toothless team. But yeah, then I but suppose it, it's the lack of targetness. It's the, it's yeah, how much indeed, does shots yeah. matter? I mean, does shooting make you more or less toothless in a way? I've, to me, it's the cre- it's the lack of creation of chances, Charlie. But then, oh, if you want to reduce sure. to pot shots, really, I don't know because I think you. It depends because you could have a situation where, like Manchester United, have lost at home. They've created a lot of chances, but they've had no cutting edge and been toothless. Or, like, I think you wouldn't say that. I don't know if you'd use toothless about a team who's kind of expected to lose in the same way. You know, if they'd only had a few shots, but not much was expected of them. I think it can kind of be either. Either you're missing a lot of chances or you're not creating any. But I don't think it has to be one or the other. I wouldn't call a team toothless if they create lots of chances and just hadn't finished them. But surely Arsenal recently, for instance, they lost those two league games, had loads of chances, really high XG. I think you'd have heard a lot of toothless gunners misfire again. Okay. Despite almost because they'd created a lot. So it was accentuated that they weren't scoring yeah it's like somebody with no teeth trying to eat mm. they're, they're trying to bite into something but they they can't do it but they, they are attempting otherwise right. you wouldn't know that they were toothless dave Tooth- to the rescue here yeah very much so <laughs> toothless arsenal smashed out of fa cup by liverpool again okay. and that was yeah game where they missed a lot of chances i just struggle with the toothless and misfiring i don't i don't feel like they're necessarily on equal footing but uh, I guess so. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you're not clinical, then I guess you you are technically toothless, no matter how many chances you've created. Fair enough. Finally, for the first half on cliches this time, James Dutton asks: Sky Sports Alan Smith said Diogo Jota has been a really good signing for Liverpool. What's the threshold for someone still being referred to as a good signing for a club? He joined Liverpool in 2020. Charlie, I think the issue is in the phrasing here. If you call call a player a really good signing for Club X, it does imply that they signed fairly recently. And then they've hit the ground running and you've had you've had a good half a season to two thirds of a season to establish how good they are and how good they've been for the club. What Alan Smith should have said is what's a signing he's been. Yeah, I was going to say that because you you can and you can talk about, you know, you you could say now, you know, Mo Salah's got to be one of the best signings in Premier League history. You could still say what a good signing he's been for Mohamed Salah. That would sound odd. I think with someone like Salah, where they've been there so long, you have to be putting it in that bigger context of, you know, what's the the whole Premier League pantheon. Salah was what, 2017? 2017, yeah. You can only really say it about Salah if you're sort of reflecting on his career as a whole, the the fact that, you know, maybe he might leave in the next year or two or something. Whereas Jota, I kind of see why he said it, because although, yeah, it does sound weird and it does make it sound like he's just signed in August or whatever. Because Liverpool have had sort of a bit of a revolving door in terms of like Mm. the options they've got up front. He Liverpool fans might disagree, but you don't necessarily see him as being definitely starting every single game because they've got options and stuff. So it's almost a bit of a of a comment on to some people he might have gone under their radars, but actually mm. of that lot he's he has been really good. Yeah, it was what, slightly yeah. less obvious what a what a signing he's been. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of like a what a smart acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. He's There's been. an astuteness going on here. Yeah. yeah. Very much the implication. Yeah. Um, especially if he nicks crucial goals for you. Very much so. But. Yeah, four years, I think. Uh, should we call it four years? Should we, should we call it the Jota rule? The World Cup cycle. Yeah, good. And that's how we should all measure our lives and our personal development in four-year cycles. Right, that brings us to the end of our first cycle on Clichés Today. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the adjudication panel. We continue apace with some more 
football ponderings. First one comes from Art McCarrick, who says he was watching Bristol City against West Ham in the FA Cup on the BBC last week. And uh, on 18 minutes, Jonathan Pierce said this of West Ham, who uh, 1-0 down at the time. Just beginning to get a toehold in the game, West Ham, aren't they, Danny? So, 18 minutes, West Ham getting a bit of a toehold, presumably after that early setback. Four minutes later, Art McCarrick says, uh, nothing really had happened. Then Danny Gabadon on COCOMS uh, confirms this. For the first time in the game, Danny, they're beginning to string some passes together. Yeah, you can see the difference in intensity, the difference in tempo between the two teams. And just looking now like Islam are starting to get a foothold in this game. Now, we could, we, we could take this too literally, Charlie, but does one flow from <laughs> the other? Does toehold, should toehold come first? I think foothold is clearly the dominant term. Is toehold really required? I, I mean, you rarely hear toehold. Foothold is far more the accepted one. You rarely hear toehold before foothold. You normally just go straight into foothold. You would. I mean, toehold, if anything, is a more accurate term, Dave, because, you know, when you go rock climbing, even in an urban context, it's only the toes that are gripping on. You very rarely exactly. get a full foot. Yeah, that too would be easy. That would be rubbish. It's too yeah, easy exactly. if it's a foothold. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't have a mountain to climb, did they, Dave? 1-0 down early doors, admittedly away from home. That's not a mountain to climb. Do you need a foothold? But they had conceded, like, in the third minute in a quite calamitous, sort of hapless fashion. And they were playing badly. Crowd. Yeah. yeah. It, they, they, were, they were on, you know, they were up against it. Really high camera angle. Yeah. Yeah, the highest. So high. I love it. it would be my MHD, actually. The old White Hart Lane camera angle. Guaranteed a good game. Mm. <laughs> Expansive. <laughs> Games look better when you can sort of see the ball being sprayed around. Hybrid rubbish. Well, rubbish and games. when they changed it, Spurs, didn't they, later on? Yeah. And it was much lower. So yeah. if you were playing FIFA or Pro Evo back in the day, would you change the default camera angle to zoom out a bit? Yeah. I would. I think you have to. It's the right thing to do. That definitely made it easier to play, yeah. Mm. Okay, but let's get to the real nuts and bolts of what Art McCarrick wants to know here, Charlie. What constitutes a team getting a toehold or indeed a foothold in the game? Let's let's assume that they are very, very similar concepts. What is a foothold in a game? Do you have to be losing in order to need to get a foothold? I think so, yeah. Or I don't agree. I don't agree. But you can't you can't be winning to get foothold. You, it's no, possible no. you might be drawing and you've been battered. I mean, I think if you, if it's still nil-nil in a big game, like an England World Cup game against superior opposition or something, and England have been under pressure, but then actually they, they you know, they get a foothold, they get some possession, they maybe fashion a few chances, I think. I think, I think it, it does, it's either score or a different, a marked difference in quality between opponents, I think. I, I, th- I think a goal supersedes foothold. I think you, you, you pass beyond a foothold if you've scored, Charlie. Like it's not even worthy of comment. What co-commentators love to do, they love to identify the changing complexion of a game, the sort of the slight power shift. And it, and foothold is quite central to that idea. It just, you feel like you sense that they're just getting a foothold in this game now. Or they just need to get, they just need to get a foothold here, you know. Mm. Or that they're like, they just need to get the crowd up. You know, that could be a big tackle, that could be yeah. a shot. Just give them something to get mm. stuck into. Yeah. I'm trying to think what normally, yeah, what gives you, it might be even just like a passage of play where you evade a press, you know, the crowd's really up for it, but you've sort of shown you are calm enough to pass your way out of a press and move the team up. That's basically what was happening in that clip. West West Ham were passing it along, were being pressed by Bristol City, but they were passing it along the back line, but not in a comfortable way. They were kind of having to nip in and just evade the onrushing forwards. So yeah, there was a tempo. Something you have to there was a tempo for. to it. Yeah, yeah. 
um, yeah, it's not a spectacular thing. Like you had to be creating chances, you had to be finding no. a cutting edge, you had to be finding sort of getting in behind or anything like that. He's literally just putting passes together, stringing passes together, getting control of the game, getting a foothold. Because it's not, um, it's not a turning point. You know, it's not no, big. It's not. not that big. And a turning point might be like you know the opposition missed a big chance, or you've you've had a good shot, or or you look like you're in the game. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's more marginal. And don't underestimate, especially if it's your team who are playing, Dave, the effect of a co-commenter saying your team is getting a foothold in the game. Now, most of the time, your footballing intellect will probably marry up with theirs anyway, and you probably sense yourself that your team is getting a foothold. But if they tell, if they get there first, you're like, ah, yes, I feel better. Like I feel less neurotic about what's about to happen in the next 35 minutes of this first half. It's great to hear. It's great. It's very comforting to know that your team are getting a foothold. Absolutely. Next question came from David Rule. Charlie says, has anyone ever clarified the terms by which you would be offered a point before a match starts? In this hypothetical scenario, are you just declaring what outcome you would be happy with or does taking the point mean you don't have to go ahead and watch the game play out? <laughs> so do you take the point and then the game happens and then you, it's pre, predetermined or do you just not play the game? <laughs> Um, I've not thought about it in that <laughs> no, way. Like, I, I mean, don't know what I think. It's very much outcome focused. Although, yeah, it might be partly you're just like, I'm so tense before this game. If it would spare me the anxiety of, of watching without knowing what's going to happen, then I take it. But it's more just, it's a good result. A point is a good result, no? Yeah, of course. Uh, it, but, it's a, but it's a deal or no deal situation is what it is. <laughs> you take it or you take your chances. You don't play anyway. You take the point instead of playing the game. And the game doesn't happen. Because yeah. it's, it's implied, Dave, in the word, if you offered me a point, as if it was like a settlement before the game. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. You can take the, the point or it, you can gamble and try and get all three, but you might lose everything. <laughs> the more I think about it, there's just no way, Charlie, that the, the game actually takes place in this hypothetical scenario. They'd snap your hand off and then everyone goes home. <laughs> well, I guess it depends who you are in this situation. If you're just a fan... <laughs> Would you take it? Yes, I would, and I would, and I could then just sit back and watch it, really yeah, okay. relax. Imagine, yeah. <laughs> imagine the the sort of how the tension just going. You know, you're sitting down to watch a title decider or a relegation scrap, but you've taken the point before. Yeah, fans don't could, have the power here. They don't. They, like, imagine the fan turning up just before kickoff, saying, "Everyone, stop! I've taken a point." <laughs> don't, don't do it's it. Fine. Yeah, Amazing. if you're the manager, yeah, the game, the game's not happening. There's yeah, no point. Okay. Shake hands, go home. All right, next question comes from Liam Hill. I like this one. He says, um, Seb Hutchinson commentating on Liverpool versus Bournemouth referred to oncoming substitute David Brooks as part of Bournemouth's Welsh contingent, causing my partner to ask how many Wales players Bournemouth have. The answer is three. Brooks, Mepham, Kiefer Moore. It begs a couple of questions for me. How many players do you need to make a contingent? Surely three is the minimum. Could Richarlison and Emerson Royale be Spurs' Brazilian contingent? Doesn't sound quite right to me. And nationality is an obvious one, but what else can be a contingent? Definitely a region, a team South American contingent, and you can have a homegrown contingent in a squad. But what about a position? Adding a player to their midfield contingent? That one feels marginal. Can anything else be a contingent? Let's start with a big question here. What is the threshold for a contingent, Charlie? Yeah, I think three is a good minimum. What's interesting there with that Spurs example is that they had Lucas Moura as well. So they went from having a Brazilian contingent to no longer having a Brazilian contingent. Facts. Yeah, absolutely uh, Which, right. you know, must must be weird for them. Like, we're, we're no longer a contingent. To keep it Spurs and to challenge you on that, what about, would, would Ardiles and Villa in uh, the 80s have been the Argentinian contingent, even though there are only two of them? If, if, if you're picturing a contingent, you're picturing more than two people. 
Definitely. I think you can just do duo or pair or something in that instance. Yeah. But because the difference between two players of a certain country playing for a team, especially if they're completely fish out of watery, when you add a third, I mean, it's a completely different kettle of fish. Like just three players sort of lined up in their sort of transfer unveiling. It's a completely different world. I think, you know, if one of them's ill or anything, two of them can still out and go out and have fun and, you know, see the local sites. It's fun. There's a backup. That's what a contingent is. It's a contingency. <laughs> two could two could almost be coincidental whereas three you sort of have to think is someone is this part of a strategy here or something <laughs> they, they like this uh, yeah they like this market yeah Wigan's trio of Spaniards the three amigos that was a contingent no question Middlesbrough's Brazilian contingent what other contingents famous Premier League contingents have there been Chelsea's Italian contingent that was a bit of a rotating cast Arsenal's French yes yes but you know but that mm. that leads me on as Too well big? to a con- a contingent as well of a French-speaking contingent or Spanish-speaking contingent as a catch-all uh, yeah. when they're not all from the same country. Would Arsenal have had an English contingent within because they were outnumbered so much? <laughs> still, yeah, we've still got an English contingent in the group. Yeah, I think you might like you know you you might have heard that sort of thing. Yeah, that that. When you get into the language side of things, Charlie, that's when you start talking about sort of cliques in the dressing room and they sort of gravitate towards each other because you know they understand um, certain language. So yeah you're out of contingency areas there but um i won't have i'm not sure about position contingents dave at all i don't think you can have a midfield contingent no because you've you've always got a midfield it's not yeah. it's, it's, it's not, not very really special a, is it no stable of midfielders okay well yeah the crucial thing here is that we got the threshold for a contingent that is three would, ideally more four or five really would spurs have a south american contingent with the two brazilians plus christian romero romero yeah. and because yeah even if they don't get on, it's still significant. And they've got Belize as well. Yeah, you could say South American contingent now, yeah. Because, you know, when they're flying off to international duty and it's a gruelling 12-hour flight or something. Yeah. So, yeah, contingent comes into play then when it becomes significant. Great question, Liam Hill. Thank you for that. Right. We spoke last week, I believe, about Premier League fixtures that have never happened. Amazingly, surprisingly, never happened. Uh, Dom Christie has crunched the numbers. This is great. So I've only just listened to this, but I'm not sure if you've covered it. But here is a list of Premier League fixtures that have never happened, ordered by combined number of games, if my data querying is correct. So on that basis, according to the data, Charlie, the most surprising Premier League game that has never happened is Aston Villa versus Huddersfield. Now, Villa presumably doing a lot of the lifting here in terms of, yeah, um, in terms of the numbers. They were out the two seasons Huddersfield were in, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's unlucky. But um, I can sort of picture it as a Premier League fixture, but... Dave, all I want to do here is pick about four or five of these and let's just see how it would have gone down and what season it would have happened. Villa Huddersfield is obviously late 2010s. More of a championship playoff final to me. In fact, yeah, oh, I do like that. Yeah, yeah. I do. that's a great shout. How, what's, how, what's going down? What's happening? Comfortable win for Villa, I think, that one. 3-0? Like a 2-0 two, oh, two two win for Villa at Wembley. There's toothless Huddersfield toil in the sunshine. But I think in a Premier League, <laughs> in, a, in an imagined Premier League game, this would have been kind of Huddersfield making life difficult and Villa, sort of anemic Villa, kind of come unstuck oh, I away, think away at Huddersfield. Sword. I think they would have been put to the sword. Yeah, one of those sort of low-key thrashings on a Saturday, 3pm. No offence to Huddersfield, or indeed their Premier League days. Let's pick another one. I mean, all of these are explicable. They're all they're all explainable, especially with Charlie's Galaxy Premier League brain, but Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday, that should have happened. I mean, it would never happen live, Charlie. It would be like the second last game on the old match of the day where they would, would just been um, since that running through it 
in a sort of detached narrative sense, no commentator. It's a bit too disparate eras, though, isn't it? That's what's hard. With some, there are some though that do really work because for some reason they don't feel so defined. Whereas, yeah, I think that one does a bit. Fulham feels quite modern, and Sheffield Wednesday feels quite antiquated. It was the Nicholas Alexanderson show at Craven Cottage. I just can't see Sheffield Wednesday. It. They, they, they're so that kind of early Premier League period. Okay. I tell you, I tell you what it is. It's because we know that Sheffield Wednesday have had their spell for the first era of the Premier League and then they got relegated in what year 2000 they went down and they've not come back so mm-hmm. we need more yo-yo-y teams it's is that what you're saying thing. so uh, the one that jumped out of the list for me when I saw this was Crystal Palace against Wigan in my mind I, I, I just could have been sure that they had like a relegation 6-pointer yes. in like 2005 or something but they've they've yo-yoed to the extent where they, they've they've obviously just never overlapped properly because of, because of their their fortunes. Crystal Palace versus Wigan, Charlie sounds like a really like sounds really like a horror injury game. Like sort of game that is a like ridiculous <laughs> yeah. broken leg as well. Steve Bruce they, managing both teams. Th- there is something neat about that. I mean, Wigan were in the Premier League literally the eight years that Palace were out of it. I think why it works as well is they're not well. Palace certainly Wigan have only had one spell in the Premier League, but Palace haven't. They're not syn- Palace aren't synonymous with an era of the Premier League in the way that some of these teams are, which does make a really big difference. I can well imagine that. I mean, Victor Moses would be playing against his former club. There'd be that kind of yeah. narrative running through it. Maybe that you is know, the standout. Yeah, that is the standout one after all. Good stuff. Thanks to Dom Christie. Enjoyed that. Thoroughly. Final question comes from listener Sam. Good old listener Sam. Dave, he says, if a keeper is beaten all ends up, does it mean he's died for it and got nowhere near it, or that he was left rooted and didn't even try or have time to react and save? I've heard it used for both in recent weeks, but I think it should be just one or the other. Probably the former. I'm inclined towards the former because it because it implies the shot was so good that the keeper did everything they could to save it and it still went in, quite emphatically so. What does the all ends referring to? Allegedly, it's cricket or tennis, like old forms of those games because you switch ends. So once all those ends are used up. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it, it comes from a game where you change ends. So it's tennis or cricket, as I understand it. So when all the ends are up, you're beaten. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. I think I sort of agree with you. Actually, I think I think I was actually leaning towards the rooted and not even moving. But I think you're right, though. I actually think you're right. Yeah. Like a despairing dive, and it's still gone into the top corner. That's because that like the all ends, which has no relation to it. But you're kind of imagining like it's all parts of your body are kind of trying stuff and even they have you know you've got a flailing hand there a legs there your head's there but nothing all ends in all body parts are beaten. I, don't, I don't think your heart's in that i don't think you really believe that that's very sort of thinking that guilt edge chance is a, a guilty no i thing. don't i don't i think that I, I think that's what informs why that feels instinctively more right even though that has no relation to reality i think if you use it charlie for a, for a goalkeeper who's rooted to the spot I think you're taking the shine off what is quite a high level of goal scoring quality, beating all ends up. It, that, that's a high bar to achieve. And I think a goalkeeper being rooted would take the shine off a goal sometimes. Yeah, unless some, but some shots are just so good. What's the best goal where the goalkeeper has been rooted? Well, that Matic one um, in the 2017 FA Cup semi-final where he just absolutely oh, yeah. leathers it. <laughs> top right. Uh, keeper's top left, yeah. His yeah, top right. Okay. Um, yeah. And Lloris... I think it's a recent goal. Just doesn't. But Lloris move. did that all the time. Like Lloris loved it, doing that, watching it, a ball go past just like that, staring. Past, but it's such a good hit. 
it almost adds to how kind of shocking the moment is because it, um, it like catches everyone out. Uh, Dave, I, I reckon quite a few listeners here are probably citing Luis Figo for Portugal oh. against England at Euro 2000. Can't mm, have that. There's no. a reason why he was rooted and it got deflected. It, Nobody I, talks about it. Exactly. Yeah. Furiating. Through the, through the legs. Yeah. Um, listeners, get in touch with the best goal ever that left a goalkeeper rooted. Uh, there are definitely some. We're not debating that. I just want to know what the best one is. Very important that we find this out. Right, all ends up. It's time for Keys and Grey Corner. First up, you know Keezy loves a little bit of his wordplay when it extends into a second week of usage. When it when it when it expands mm. either two blogs and a match day or two match days and a blog, you know he's in love with it. And this one is of course about Arsenal's one hundred and five million pound midfielder. A game Andy that I would like to see I mean, perfect for him. Declan nice <laughs> boss. Yeah. Not tippy tappy his way through. Mm-hmm. The overplay in the last 30 metres of the football pitch, I think, far too often. Get hold of the ball. Overplay. Test players. The occasional shot at goal might be quite nice. Yeah, that, I, I agree with That's one of the problems I've said. When do you ever see anyone take a shot from outside the box for Arsenal? Hardly ever. It's the trying to work that perfect is, goal time after time. The way he plays right now, he is Declan nice. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Like That has to be the life cycle for it, Charlie. It cannot go on any more than this. He can't repeat it again. You'd think, but he does then use it again. He uses it in the studio. Yeah, he's absolutely loving it. It's it's a very, very weird sort of hobby horse. It's quite a basic piece of wordplay, even for Keezy. To be so proud of it is, I think it's quite odd. A lean week for Keezy in the wordplay stakes. No, I think but it's, it's so up the street, isn't it, in, in some ways. Uh, yeah, let's, let's see how much mileage that has left. Of course, the studio guest on B in Sports for their Premier League coverage at the weekend was Alan Pardew. Sits right in the European places, Charlie, of people you want in the studio mm. for B in Sports Saturday coverage, doesn't it? Yeah, and that he says it to him again, that he says Declan Nice to uh, to Pards. He's, mm. I mean, he's so proud of it. He wants that getting maximum exposure. The thing about Pards, though, Dave, is that he, he essentially takes no shit. Like, he doesn't quite engage in the in the banter that like a Peter Reid would. They wouldn't have a cackle together. Parts is oddly cold to deal with, it would seem. And uh, I think this... Ex- it's not a terse exchange. It's just, it's just Parsi basically telling Keezy what's what. And I think that's quite a good quality for him. Here they are. He's not buying into your I want to see a Gerrard-type no, performance. Balls being pinged here and no, there. Don't do that. This tackles, is why. This is what. This goal. is why you're a receiver center and not a football manager. You've got to open your mind a little bit. <laughs> My mind's wide open. He is simply Declan Knight. Uh, yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. He did repeat it again. Um, my mind's wide open. <laughs> Love it. The reason that Pardew's doing that, though, I think, is if you look at the people that normally sit in that chair, your McAteers, Dwight Yorks, even your Desai, or somebody like that, they're not bothered about having one up on Keezy. They're they're happy with their role. They're there for the punditry. You know, ex-players, they've done it, whatever. They're retired. They're having a nice time. Whereas Pardew still fancies himself, I think, as like, I'm not done yet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's often the reason why um, sort of out of work managers are on these programs is to put themselves in the shop window. And and Charlie, on a on a, on a normal broadcaster, it would be done very softly, softly. Be like, 
you know, um, you've had some time out of the game, you know, where do you see yourself next or something like that? In their case, it was just like, why haven't you got a job yet, Pards? Getting a bit worried yet? Can <laughs> <laughs> move it permanently, Pards? Anything goes. He's quite Doha, isn't he, Pards? I could see him there, yeah. Or, or is he is he more sort of Spain? Than, Marbella. Yeah. I think he may be. Yeah, I've been out in mobs, yeah. I keep my head down a bit, but I'm looking forward to getting back into it, to be honest. As it always seems to, Dave, Keezy's latest blog drops just as we were recording. I skimmed through it. He's basically running through it. He's basically just become ref watch. Uh, so I skimmed past all of that, got to the very final line, and it oozes Keezy. And finally, a word of warning for those both hoping and writing Jose Mourinho off. He is far from finished. <laughs> <laughs> Still a, still a Mourinho advocate then. And He'll that kind of end. makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, is that a precursor to him joining him in the studio That's soon? To come and get me plea for, the, for, the, for their Euros coverage. Where does Keezy think Jose's going, honestly? Paris Saint-Germain. Or even, <laughs> or even a Chelsea. What if Chelsea won? Their best years in the Premier League came under Mourinho. He what have they done guarantees since? you winning trophies. What's he won? <laughs> Andy, Andy. Listen, he has won more Premier League trophies than Chelsea have in their history without him. How can they ignore him with the dross they're serving up week after week? I know, I know. Keezy, final point on this one, Dave. Keezy's probably the last, one of the last few people who would probably use the special one completely sincerely Mm. without a hint of irony. I reckon he would actually greet him with that in person. How are you doing the special one? <laughs> no, 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 he wouldn't. That's not how he would do it. Special he man. wouldn't say, he wouldn't address him directly as the special one. He would, he would say to the room, oh, <laughs> the special one's here. <laughs> We've got a very special guest tonight, the special one. Yeah. Special one in the building. <laughs> right. Thanks to you, my special ones. Cheers, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. Great adjudication paneling, Dave Walker. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back on Thursday. See you later. 